This morning's scripture reading is from John 11, verses 1 through 37. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 37. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mara, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. 
And he said, where have you laid him? He said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is God's word. I believe the scripture that was just read was the very words of God. So I ask for you to pray with me this morning that I deliver to you the words of God. Glory to God, who is adequate to do these things. Just pray that your Holy Spirit come down in this place this morning. Touch my tongue. Let me speak clearly. And you touch your people's hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Death is all around us. In this fallen world we live in today, it looks like it's just a way of life. The relationship of creation with his creator is broken. But it was not always this way. You see, God created things good. He created man very good. There was no death, no sickness, no disease, and most importantly, there was no sin. There was only perfect obedience and reliance on God. Perfect relationship between God and his creation. The Lord God took the man and put him in and put him in a garden and said, You may surely eat of every tree that's in a garden, but a tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat, you shall die. Death is a cursed thing. Romans 8 says, Death is something that God subjected creation to. But he did it in hope. Death is our enemy. But we have hope this morning because we have a God who is over death. He rules over our pain, our heartache. He's a sovereign God who is over all in control of everything. Death, as well as the tears is caused by death. So we have hope this morning. You see, God told Adam, <clears throat> as a result of your sin, you will work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to get in fights with your boss and your co-workers. You're going to labor and toil until the day that you die. He told the woman Eve, because of your sin, you're going to bear children and pain. And not only that, you're going to fight with your husband. You're going to argue for leadership and the family. And your children, they're going to call you many sleepless nights and pain. And Eve learned quickly the pain of sin when her oldest son killed her youngest son. <clears throat> God told the serpent, Satan, he says, I'm going to allow you to do a lot of damage to my creation, but only for a time. I'll use you as a tool to judge sin and strengthen my people. There's going to be hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes and cancer all because of my creation's rebellion and sin. But the devil, fallen, though he may be an enemy of God, he is. The devil is still God's devil. 
He's on a leash, and his doom is certain. The promise of the woman's seed bruising the head of Satan has been fulfilled. The serpent's head has been crushed by the man, Christ Jesus. There's a, a, a tremendous amount of pain and loss in our world today. And some of you may be going through some loss and pain this morning. God cursed Adam and Eve and all creation with death. But he also gave us hope and the promise of Jesus Christ. It is my attempt this morning to show you that your greatest need in this fallen world, filled with death and sorrow, is Jesus Christ. And therefore, your greatest good is seeing, running to, and clinging to him for life. In our text in John 11, there were many tears flowing in Bethany that day, the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. But Jesus loved them in the midst of their illness, in the midst of their tears, in the midst of their pain. Verse 1 says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary had a very close relationship with God, with Jesus. Verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And we see everyone else recognizing this in verse 36. It says, the Jews said, see how he loved them. Oh, see how he loved them. There was hope for Lazarus and his sisters because Jesus loved them. Jesus, the one who is in control of life and death and every circumstance in between, loved them. But how did he love them? Did Jesus show his love by never letting them go through pain, never letting them go through loss or even death? No. He loved them by seeking their greatest good. It says Lazarus was ill, and so the sisters sent for Jesus, the miracle worker, to save their brother. Surely Jesus will be able to heal their brother. He healed countless people in the past from all manner of diseases from afar, from a distance, by just speaking a word. But look what it says in verse 6. It says, he loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Lazarus was probably already dead at this point because we know after Jesus stayed two days and traveling about a day to Bethany that Lazarus was dead for four days. But the delay had a purpose. It says he loved them. They wanted Jesus to come, but he loved them. And so he stayed two more days. What kind of love is this? This is a love the world knows nothing about. You won't hear about it in songs. You won't see it on the television. This is real love, defined by the creator. This is true love that seeks its object's greatest good, its ultimate good. True love is defined by God, who is love, and his love seeks the greatest good. Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying. He could have prevented the tears, but Jesus loved Lazarus. 
He loved his sisters too much to do it. There was something more important, more essential that needed to happen. A divine expression of love. Look back at verse 3. It says, his sister sent to him saying, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So combining verses three and verse six, we see that Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, but he loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and Mary. And so he stayed where he was two more days. And then it says, the reason was not for a death, but for the glory of God and the son of God may be glorified through the illness, through the death. I submit to you that their ultimate good is to see the glory of God and the glory of Christ. Don't miss that word there through at the end of verse four. You have to go through something to get to the glory the sisters needed to see more of the glory of Jesus. And Jesus delayed two days to ensure that the sign that he was about to perform was not a trick. It wasn't an illusion. It wasn't a, a mere recitation, a recitation of a sick person. Martha and Mary needed their faith strengthened. They needed to know that Jesus was more than a miracle worker. Today, we know things about Jesus that Mary and Martha didn't know. We know things that even the disciples didn't know at this time. We have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. We know that he's the second person of the Godhead with all power and all authority in his hands. But we need a, a, a clearer revelation of Jesus this morning. We need to see his glory every day. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another as we look upon the face of Jesus. We need to see his glory. You see, in Bethany, they needed a fuller revelation of Christ. They needed to know and believe he is Lord over all, over life and death. Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but he didn't. Jesus was about to give the last sign, the last of seven signs of messianic uh, record recorded for us in John. These signs pointed to Jesus' deity. It's pointed to who he really was. The God-man, divinity clothed in human flesh. I ask you this morning, do you believe that it's more important for people to see the full revelation of Christ than from them to be healed from their illness? Do you believe that? So we see this whole event in John 11 was triggered or motivated by love. Lazarus' illness was ultimately for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. And the result of this would be a deeper, stronger faith. For those with weak, mustard seed faith. Look back at verse 7. It says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to, the G to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus gave them a little parable that simply means I have work to do. 
and I must work while it's daytime because the night is coming when no man can work. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Genesis 3 must be accomplished. And I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of man. I'm on the divine timetable. No one can stop what's about to happen. So Jesus said to the disciples in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. This is all part of the plan. I got to go get him up. He tried to explain that those who die in the Lord are only sleeping. Death is not really death, but the disciples at that time, they didn't understand it. Look at verse 12. It says, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? Look what it says. It says, so that you may believe. Now, of course, we know that Jesus was not glad in a glee, giddy type of way over the pain of death. We know this from the tears that he was shed and we shall see later on. But Jesus knew the purpose. He knew the result of Lazarus' death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And he asks here, so that you may believe there is something more important than tears, pain and sorrow and death. There is something more important than even life. And that's seeing the glory of God in Christ and seeing so that you may believe. Listen, the most loving thing that Jesus could do for anyone is to point them to himself. The best gift God can ever give his creation is himself. There is no better gift. Whenever you think there is something better, it's a lie. Whatever you think you can't live without, it's an idol. Jesus is better. And so I ask you this morning, is seeing and believing in Christ more important than your tears? Is Jesus worth your tears? If this is true, the most loving thing you could do for anyone is to point them to Christ. Lazarus' illness may not have led to death ultimately, but it did cause a lot of pain in Bethany. I originally prepared this sermon for the funeral of my first cousin. He was more like a brother to me. He was only 38 years old, a year older than me. And since that death, another cousin, a first cousin, died 51 years old from stomach cancer. His other two brothers have passed away in the past, one at 41, another one at 45. Death is a reality in our world today. Pain and sorrow is a reality in our world today. And maybe some of you here this morning with a hole in your heart because of death. Let's look at the pain. Verse 17. 
Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we see Mary's pain in verse 31. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. We shall all mourn and weep over the void in our lives of those who have gone before us. The pain is real. Feel it. Express it. Weep, mourn. Death is truly a great tragedy. Death is a curse from God. It is our enemy. It's a result of sin, but it's not a natural part of life. It's the opposite of life. And so it's only natural to weep and to mourn and console those who are weeping and mourning. We are called to weep with those who weep. Lazarus was dead. Mary and Martha was weeping. The Jews was weeping. And so verse 35 says Jesus wept. Jesus empathized with Lazarus' sisters and their loss. But Jesus' tears weren't just tears of grief. Most commentators believe that Jesus was not merely upset over the tragedy of death and pain. And he was not only grieving with the family, especially in light of the fact that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus was mostly weeping over everyone's lack of faith. We see Jesus' tears were in response to accusatory statements. Look at verse 32 again. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus' response was primarily to Mary's statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, look at Jesus' response to the Jews in verse 37. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse, verse 38, Jesus deeply moved again. Now that one Greek verb in both cases deeply moved, it literally means to snort like a horse. It's used five other times, translated three ways every time. Deeply moved, sternly worn, or scolding. It means to be emotionally in anguish or outrage. Mary and Martha both questioned Jesus' timing. If only you had been here. If you just would have answered our prayers when we asked you, our brother would still be alive. 
Jesus was deeply moved because although he was about to do something for the glory of God and for their good, they could only wonder and question why. Why didn't he stop our pain? At times when our faith is shaken by loss and grief, we may ask God, I prayed, I prayed, but why didn't you answer my prayer the way that I wanted you to? I submit to you that Jesus is deeply troubled. The sisters believed Jesus was able to do miracles. He was able to heal Lazarus from his illness, but he did not or could not. He just couldn't make it in time, apparently. Yes, we may ask, God, why did you allow this to happen? We should. We should ask, what can we learn from certain events that happen in our lives? We should even ask, was it disciplinary? We, like Mary, Martha, and the Jews, either do not believe Jesus is Lord or is able to do all things when we impugn his goodness or question his wisdom by allowing certain things to happen in our lives. But do we know better than God? Can we love more passionately than God? And so being deeply troubled, Jesus wept. But his tears, their tears, our tears all have a purpose. Jesus loved them, so they needed to see the glory. Jesus needed to seek their ultimate good. And he was about to strengthen their faith in him. The illness was not unto death, but so the Son of God may be glorified. They needed to see a glimpse of his glory. They needed to have their faith strengthened. We pick up our narratives in verse 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met Jesus. She said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. At first, it may appear that Martha knew that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. But not quite. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, sometime in the future. She knew what the Old Testament said, that there will be a resurrection one day in the future. She knew what Jesus taught in John 5. For an hour is coming when all who hear are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus taught that back in John chapter 5. But Jesus is teaching them and us something different here in John 11. Verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha, do you believe what I'm telling you? Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. She did believe. But Martha didn't see the whole picture. She didn't grasp everything and all that Jesus was. Do we see all that Jesus is? 
exactly what is Jesus talking about here? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Remember what God told Adam, the day that you eat of this tree, I command you not to eat, you will die. And what is death but separation? When Adam ate, he began to decay at that point. He didn't physically die until some 900 years later. And at that point, his body returned to the dust that God promised and his spirit separated from his body and went back to God. That's what death is, separation. But at that moment, when Adam ate from the tree that God commanded him not to eat from, there was another separation that happened, a more profound separation. And that was a separation between God and his creation because of sin. Adam's disobedience separated him from the perfect, holy God who's a source of life. And when you separate yourself from the source of life, from the source of everything good, and the source of all pleasure, you're only left with death, misery, pain, and suffering. But it's important to note that God cursed creation. It wasn't the devil. And I believe that God did this for a grace for us so we can see the reality of our separation, of our broken relationship with him because of sin. Something must be done because of our sin. Listen to me. Every one of you in the sound of my voice will die one day. I will die one day unless Jesus come back first. This has been ordained by God because of sin has separated us from him. Without Christ, we're all dead men. We're all spiritually dead. When Adam and Eve and their prosperity turned away from God, the creator, the sinner of life, there was nothing left but death. Romans 5 and 12 says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. By Adam, death came into this world. Because of one trespass, death reigned, it says. If you live long enough, you're going to lose a mother or a father. If you live long enough, you'll lose a son or a daughter. If you live long enough, you may lose a husband or a wife. You may lose a sister or a brother, a best friend or a cousin. You may lose your mind. You may get cancer. If you live long enough, you're going to experience a tremendous amount of pain. You're going to shed a lot of tears. Or my mama used to say, you could die young. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you have a good marriage or a good marriage or a poor marriage. It doesn't matter if you're, you live a respectable life or if you're living a high-handed sin against the creator. One day, you're going to die. It's been appointed to man to die. And after that comes the judgment. 
Death reigned because of sin. And sin spread to all. But what is sin? Sin is just not making a little mistake. It's just not messing up once in a while, a little picadillo. It's not a big deal, a small thing. Sin is rebellion against the creator. It's treason against the king. Sin has separated us from true life, the creator. Sin is a wretched, cursed thing. The tiniest sin has set loose all the evil and all the death that we see in our world today. The tiniest sin cannot be paid for in eternity in hell. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus said, Martha, death is all around us. Your brother, my beloved friend, Lazarus is dead. But I came to put death to death. I am the source of life. It is only in me that you can experience true and real life. Jesus is reconciling creation to himself. He's reconciling a fallen creation back to God. He created love, food, sex, and all manner of pleasures. All things are created by him and for him. You can only enjoy life in Christ. Right before his crucifixion, Jesus wraps it up in these words. John 17. He says, this is eternal life. That they may know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said to Mary, your brother can live now. And more importantly, he and everyone here can all have spiritual life. You all need a resurrection. You all need me. The most loving thing you can do for your children, you can do for your friends or a family member, is to point them to the Savior, to point them to the glory of Christ so that they may believe. This is the good news in a fallen world filled with death and sorrow. We can all have spiritual life, true life in Christ today. Knowing him is better than relief of any sin, or relief of any, any tear or any pain. He is better than any illicit relationship. He will take you higher than any drug or any alcohol. Knowing Jesus is better than anything in this universe. When Jesus said, Martha, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, he means whoever believes in me, though he die physically, he will have life eternal. He will have a reconciled relationship to his, to his creator. Verse 26 goes on to say, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You can obtain eternal life in Christ. Death is our final enemy. We won't have the final word. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? I ask you, do you believe this? Your eternal souls depend on it. And Romans 5 says, Romans 5.15, that Adam was just a type or a symbol of the one to come. Someone greater than Adam was going to come. A free gift. 
It says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more would those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 15, 45 says the first Adam became a living soul, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life giving soul. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He is a seed promised by God of the woman to crush the serpent's head. Every promise, every grace, every mercy is yes and amen in Christ. Do you believe this? Look at verse 40. Jesus said to Martha, did I say to you, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? I pray you believe this morning. I pray that you see his glory this morning. Verse 41, Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This was an amazing sign. It wasn't any trick. He was dead for four days. The King James said that he stinketh at this time. The decay had already started to set in. Well, look at verse 45. It says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, remember they came to come to weep with the sisters, but many of them, those people who had come and had seen what he did, they believed in him. Some would see the glory that morning. Some would believe. Verse 45 says, many seeing what he did and believed. They came to weep, but they got a glimpse of the glory, and they believed. They came dead, and they left alive in Christ. Jesus' tears said, I love you. They said, I'm sorry for your pain, and I empathize with you. But he said, with sorrow, I'm glad that Lazarus has died, so that you may see the glory of God and believe and have life. I ask you, do you see the glory? Do you see the redeeming love of God in Christ? Do you see the holiness and the righteousness of God in Christ? Do you see God's holy justice in Christ? Do you see that God cannot just overlook sin? He, he won't be a nice guy, just, just, just overlook sin, just understand, hey, we're all just human. We all make mistakes. Sin must be accounted for. It must be paid for. It will be paid for by you or will be paid for by Jesus Christ. Sin is so serious, it took an infinite being to come to pay the debt. It took the eternal Son of God to die on a cross for one small sin. Sadly, that morning, some did not believe, some did not see the glory. Some do not think that it's more important to see the glory of God and Christ more than anything else. Some of you do not believe this. 
you merely seek temporal pleasure. Temporal goodness, life. You look to your own glory, your own kingdom, and not to God's. Sadly, some of you may even be angry that I will even attempt to say that your tears are worth Jesus Christ and his glory. Some in Bethany felt the same way. Look at verse 46. After this amazing sign pointing to all that Jesus is, it says, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They was blinded by their glory, by their pride, and they couldn't see Jesus' glory. Our place, our nation. Do you want something more than the glory of Christ? What are you putting before the glory of God? What are you putting before his kingdom? If God take it away, will you shake your fist at him and walk, and walk away from life? What person or thing or hobby, forbidden relationship, will cause you to turn away from Christ? Anything. Anyone, no matter how good or innocent, wicked or vile, anything before Christ is rebellion against the creator. But Jesus is better. Second Thessalonians 1 and 8 says, when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire to inflict vengeance on all those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. You see, there's a separation that's worse than a physical separation. There's something worse than physical death. If you do not see the signs that point to Jesus Christ as being a God man, if you refuse to, 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 to bow down and humble yourself to Jesus Christ, you will suffer eternal separation from God. The Bible calls it the second death. You will endure eternal punishment away from God forever. Those who refuse to see Christ's glory and believe will be eternally separated from Christ in his glory. And they will be eternally separated from any hope of relief or any hope of life. Look at verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. They had enough of Jesus. They had enough of the signs. They had enough of the glory. They didn't want to see it anymore. You see, raising Lazarus from the dead would directly lead to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate glory. 
But remember, Jesus, he's the Lord and he's in control of everything. He does everything for God's glory. He does everything for our good. And everything is motivated by love. Remember back in verse 9, the, the parable that Jesus gave? He says, look, I'm on the divine timetable. I have a mission to accomplish. And nobody is going to stop it. Not men, not those who don't want my glory, not Satan. Jesus said in John 10, I lay down my life and I take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord and I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus was sent to give his life. For those who will believe, the Bible says there is no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Jesus loved us this morning here. And he showed that love by dying for us. The death of Christ is the definitive example of how a good, all-wise, all-powerful God can take the fallen world, all the death, all the pain, and all the sorrow, and take it all together and make it good for us and glory for him. I'm almost done. Jesus says, I love you. Your greatest need in this fallen world is to get a glimpse of my glory. Your greatest need is me. You may have to endure some tears. You may have to endure sickness or even death. But it's for your good. Can you turn to Romans 8? 18 would be. <clears throat> Romans 8:18. 8, it says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us." For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, we are saved. Our tears, our sorrow, our grief is not worthy to be compared to our future glory. Our pain and our tears has a purpose. And Jesus is worth it all. He loves you. Jesus said Lazarus' sickness was not unto death, but that God may be glorified by glorifying his son and for people to see the son and believe. This is a path for eternal life. There is no other way. I pray 
that you find comfort in Jesus Christ this morning. I pray that you find reconciliation in Jesus Christ this morning. True life, eternal life is available this morning, but only in Jesus Christ. I pray for those with weak faith like myself that we can get a glimpse of the glory and have our faith strengthened in Christ. But if you walk away this morning, if you walk away seeking your own kingdom, your own way, there's only death promised for you. Physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. But there is hope and life in Jesus Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him should never die. Do you believe this? Pray with me. Father God, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for the revelation you've given us this morning in John 11. I thank you for the revelation of your son. I thank you for the hope that he extends to all those that seem that they're in a hopeless situation. I thank you, Lord, that you said you are a friend that stick closer than a brother. When we suffer loss, when we suffer pain, we know that you are there with us, Lord. And I thank you. I just pray for the congregation this morning, Lord. I pray that you strengthen them, Lord. I pray that you give them a glimpse of your glory, Lord. Forgive me for not giving your word adequate attention. Forgive me for not being clear enough. But I pray that you make it clear, Lord. I pray that they see your glory and believe. It's in your precious son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.